0: listening to the Living Room room North North. North. Podcast. We are in week two of our series, uh, Big Reputation. If you were here last week, uh, my friend Lauren kicked us off and she talked about why reputations are important and how all of us for better or worse, have a reputation. I was thinking about reputations. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but on uh, at the Living Room North Instagram uh, yesterday, I think it was, we were like, hey, what are some of the things you're known for? What is your reputation? And we got some really good answers. And I started thinking about when I was in college and just the people that I knew, people that I was close to, and just like uh, people that had kind of a, a big reputation. No, I mean, I guess pun intended, but like people that, that their reputation kind of preceded them. That's, that's a better way to say that. And uh, there was this one... Sp- person that came to my mind specifically. Um, there was a, a girl that I, I had classes with. Uh, she was really smart. I thought she was really good looking. Um, I was hoping one day, maybe I'd shoot my shot with her. I never did, uh, but she was, uh, pre-med now she's literally like an emergency room doctor really smart got got it all figured out got it together Uh, she loved Jesus she was very active in church very involved in church and I just remember being in college and just like the reputation that she had what she was known for was all great things like it was you know that she was smart did well in school you know the pre-med thing I loved Jesus uh, active in her church uh, she was the president of her sorority, uh, number one on the tennis team in college, which is really good at tennis and things like that. And I just remember thinking, I was like, man, she's got it all together. Like seemingly, I feel like uh, I was just impressed. You know, I, I thought it was somebody that her reputation was like, hey, she's seen, everything just seemingly looks easy. Uh, and I started thinking about my reputation and it was probably a little bit, uh, yeah, a lot bit less less than that, a lot less impressive, a lot less going on uh, for me when I was in college. But I enjoyed hearing, seeing what you guys said uh, about what you feel like your reputation are because I feel like it was things that we could all relate to from, you know, your personality traits, to your quirks, To somebody said you had, a, you know, you had a big smile or your smile lights up a room or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's so great, because if I would have asked, you know, been asked about my reputation when I was in college, it probably would have been less than ideal. But uh, I also think back to those times and just think that oh, we get our reputation because of, I mean, really two things, the, the people that we interact with and how we live our lives. So whether you like it or not, a lot of times our reputations come uh, on our own accord. It comes from the decisions we make, the people we surround ourselves with. But specifically last week, um, if I can spit that word out, uh, specifically last week, uh, Lauren talked to us about what it means uh, to kind of for the church to have your reputation. Uh, what it means for us to kind of have a reputation for what we're known for and what people think of when they think about the church. And, and I don't necessarily necessarily mean Brownsbridge Church, but I mean the, the capital C church, the, the church in, at large, uh, but it does affect how things affect our church here at Brownsbridge. And so the question that we wrestled with and the thing that she asked us was this, she said, uh, how do we begin to repair the reputation of the local church? That oftentimes uh, the local church is known for uh, things that, more more the things that we get wrong than things that we get right. And she gave some examples of the ways that we can uh, begin to uh, repair the local church. And it really starts with us, right? The people, the church is not the building, the church is the people. And so that was kind of the challenge that we got is it it starts with us. So this week we want to kind of pick up there and I really want to kind of uh, start off tonight by uh, kind of building on that question and asking a more pointed question, Specifically, uh, when you think about Jesus, what would you say that Jesus's reputation is? Because today, a lot of times, if you were to ask that question, ask people, he, he has a lot of things that come with Jesus's reputation. Now uh, People will say he was a great teacher. You know, the whole last series, we talked about him being a rabbi and a teacher and following the way. Uh, so like he comes, he was a great teacher. Some people will talk about his miracles and the signs and wonders that he did, where he healed people and, you know, turned water into wine. He walked on water. He did some miraculous things uh, that, that get people's attention. Uh, obviously, if you consider yourself a Jesus follower or you've uh, been in church a long time, you may, you know, focus in on the fact that he's the son of God that he died on the cross for our sins, he rose from the grave. Uh, There's a lot of different things that Jesus's reputation uh, might get you as many answers uh, as the people that you ask. But it's really interesting when you think about Jesus's own reputation, uh, actually Jesus acknowledged what his reputation was. And it was for the most part, none of those things. In fact, uh, the the gospel writer, Luke, who was, uh, he was a doctor himself and uh, really, you know, investigated and dug in and and wrote down things, eyewitness accounts, like he did all of his research very thoroughly. Uh, He has a documented uh, answer of Jesus talking about his own reputation, which I think is pretty unique uh, when it comes to the gospels. But I also think it's pretty informative for where we're going and what we're talking about tonight. Here's what Luke says in chapter 7, verse 34. He says, Jesus talking about himself says, the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And I read that this week and I just thought, well, that's interesting. You know, not a lot of miracles in there, not a lot of, uh, you know, raising from the dead or look at all the great things I've done. Look at all the people I've healed. I just felt like I read that and I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of underwhelming that that was Jesus's reputation was that he was, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In fact, he hung out with so many sinners, quote unquote, they accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton is that, Hey, all he seems to do is eat and drink and hang out with the people who are the worst of us. He hangs out with the worst kind of people, right? He, he eats with the people that we don't like. He eats with the people that are as irreligious as they come. He eats with the people that, that are, are far from God. He eats with outsiders is essentially the point that they're making. And I thought that was so interesting because Jesus is the one who gives us these words. He says like, hey, I'll tell you what they say about me. Like he's very self-aware, very uh, honest and, and just open. He was like, hey, they, they accuse me of being a glutton and a drunk because of the people that I hang out with. The, the, because of the company I keep and the people that I surround myself with, people look at me and say, hey, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. A Friend of the worst of the worst. The people, the lowest in our society, the people that nobody likes is who Jesus was known for. And it's really interesting because I feel like what was meant to be kind of an insult at Jesus, he kind of takes on as a little bit of a badge of honor. So I started thinking about why, why would he take an insult on as a badge of honor? Well, I thought of three reasons. Number one, uh, they meant it as derogatory, but Jesus thought it was explanatory, right? They were like, hey, this dude hangs out with sinners and tax collectors, he's the worst or whatever. And Jesus was like, no, that's, those are the people that I want to hang out with. Like I can hang out with anybody I want. Like I'm doing miracles and I'm, you know, Jesus at times in his ministry was, I like to say he was a rock star. Like he, he could, he could go anywhere. He could get an audience with just about anybody he wanted to, but he was like, no, these are the people that I want to hang out with. They should tell you something about me. In fact, uh, the people that, the, the, that personified rejection in that society, the outsiders, if you will, the, the meant by tax collectors and sinners, Jesus said, these are the people that are a reflection of who I want to be with. It's who I came to spend my time with. And it was the people, specifically the religious leaders in that day that had the biggest problem with it. Because why were these people outsiders? They're outsiders because they didn't follow the rules. They didn't do things the way they were supposed to. Uh, They didn't uh, obey what they were commanded to by the the religious leaders that day or by the laws of of what we call now the Old Testament. And so Jesus said, hey, maybe I'm not about the religious side of things. Maybe I care more about the person and the relationship that comes with them. And I think that's very unique and very interesting because in Jesus's day and age, they were all about rules and following rules. And the religious leaders of that day made a lot of them and looked down on everyone who didn't follow them. And here comes Jesus along, a rabbi, a teacher, one of their own, kind of like he could go toe to toe with them and talk about scriptures and theological questions and deep things of of who God is and how God is and and what he wants for us. And then while they would all go and sit in their little, you know, insular circles where they would just talk about those things over meals and stuff, Jesus would leave and he would go to the outskirts. He would go find the people that were outcasts and the the people who were different, the people who were told, you're not good enough. The people that the elitist looked down on and said, hey, you're not worthy to hang out with us. The people that specifically the religious, religious leaders said, you do not belong here. Those are the people that Jesus sought out. Those are the people that Jesus went out of his way to interact with. And to hang out with and today we're going to look at a specific passage of where jesus does exactly that he finds someone who is a you know a tax collector and a sinner and he goes out of his way to spend time with this person and you know we read through the story in fact some of you guys have may have heard the story from the time that you were a kid uh there's a, a famous kid song that goes with it depending on the church that you grew up in you may know the words to it but th- that jesus goes out of his way to hang out with this guy and we read through it because it's like oh what a sweet little story but in that day and age, it would have been so scandalous, so faux pas, so many people would have been offended by Jesus's decision. It's literally part of the reason that he probably earned his reputation as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So uh, let's look at together, if you have your Bibles, we're gonna flip over to Luke chapter 19 is where we're gonna be tonight. Luke chapter 19, we're gonna look at the first 10 verses of Luke 19. And in Luke 19, uh, Jesus is, like I said, he's in full on rockstar mode. This is not long before his uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, right before his arrest and trial and crucifixion and resurrection. So this is like the peak of Jesus' ministry, the kind of the culmination of his three years and all that he's done in this world. And in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is walking along and the crowds are following him and everywhere he goes. I would imagine if paparazzi would have existed in Jesus' day, this would have been, like they would have been following him around like he was hanging out with Travis and Taylor. And it would have been one of those moments where you know people would have been, literally like fighting over themselves to try to get a glimpse at Jesus and peeking through the crowds. And oh man, I saw him. He walked down my street today or he came by my place of business or oh my gosh, did you hear Jesus is in town? I hope he eats at my restaurant. Or I met one of his disciples or I met one of his disciples' cousins or his cousin's disciples' friend's neighbor once watched my dog. And it would have been one of those things where, where like the word just starts to spread where, where people were just clamoring and trying to get to and find Jesus. And so in Luke chapter 19, we get one of these stories of such. So here's what it says in Luke chapter 19, verse one and two. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a wee little man. No, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. (laughs) It's very interesting when when we meet Zacchaeus, we're told he's one of the kind of people that Jesus was notorious for hanging out with, right? He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And in our day and age, you might blow right past that. You might not think anything of it. You might think, it might remind you of, of said kid song from earlier, but in reality, it was telling the way that Luke describes him because he wasn't just a tax collector. He was what kind of tax collector? Chief. Yes, this is the interactive part of the, the message here. So he was a chief tax collector, which didn't mean he was just a tax collector. He was in charge of other tax collectors, which means he was a, a high ranking tax collector. And maybe you're not familiar with tax collectors, but I like to describe tax collectors as some kind of blend of like an IRS agent and a mafia person. It's kind of like the two of those things kind of being smushed together. Uh, An IRS agent in the sense of they collected taxes from the people, but a mafia person in that they did it in the sleaziest and dirtiest kind of ways. And so a tax collector was actually a Jewish citizen, a person who grew up in, in in the country there, who collected taxes for the Roman empire. So if you haven't thought about the Roman empire today, I'm just gonna knock this out once every week. So there you go. But he was a a Jewish citizen who collected taxes for the Roman empire, which on the surface doesn't seem that big a deal, but the Jews were not super thrilled about being oppressed and ruled and and, and basically uh, in charge of the Roman empire being in charge of them. And so it would have been almost like uh, they were viewed as a traitor. It's like, hey, you're working for the enemies. You're helping the people who are holding us, uh, holding rule over us that we do not want to be holding rule over us. You're helping them out. You're, you're taking our money and giving it to the enemy. How dare you? And by the way, I grew up with you. Like, like my mom and your mama are friends. Like we went to school together. Like you are the low down dirtiest because you're a traitor, but also you're supposed to be one of us. And Zacchaeus is described as a tax collector, but also he's described as a chief tax collector. So he'd worked his way up. And the way you work your way up as a tax collector is you usually buy your way up. And the way you buy your way up is, let's say that the Roman empire says, you got to collect 20% of all your earnings or all of your like property or your cattle or whatever. The way the tax collectors did business was they would come to your house, knock on your door and say, hey, you owe the Roman empire 40% of everything you own. And so they would take that 40% and they would give 20% to Rome like they're supposed to. And the other 20% they would put in their pocket and go on to the next house. So you can see they were literally lying, cheating, and stealing their own people to help out their enemies. So when I say the Jewish people thought lowly of them, remember how they described Jesus? He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Like it was almost its own category of like horrific people. I was literally trying to, to figure out in my mind, like what is like a, a common t- today? Like what is something that, that like universally in our society, people just think this lowly of? And I really struggled. And I, I thought of one that's probably a little bit too far. So I'm gonna go ahead and say, like this is like probably like too far, but in the same way that like pedophiles in our society are largely viewed as like the scum of the earth. Nobody likes them. You're not gonna hear anybody defend them. They're the worst of the worst. In Jewish society, that's how tax collectors were viewed. Like, it's almost like you disgust me by your existence. I can't believe you and everything that you represent. Get out of my face. I don't want to be with you. If, if one of your family members became a tax collector, you wrote them out of the family. They were literally the lowest of low. However, they made a ton of money. So they also held a lot of power and influence in the area. And that's how we meet Zacchaeus, right? We're given two descriptions of him. He was a ta- chief tax collector and he was wealthy. And so Zacchaeus is a guy that is obviously when we introduce to him on the pages of scripture, he's not exactly painted in the prettiest of lights. He's a guy that would have been, you know, basically what Luke's trying to say is like, hey, imagine the worst person, you know, it's Zacchaeus. Right. And so we get into a little bit more of his story in the next verse. It says this. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So we know Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. We know he was wealthy and we know he's a short king, right? So at the same time, like he, he is, he probably, like imagine this guy, like I want you to, in your mind's eye, imagine this guy. He's probably, he is like cheating his friends and family out of their money. He's working for the enemy. He's making bank doing it. And at the same time, I would imagine he probably has like little man syndrome where he is just high on a power trip where he is just like, you know, walks with his chest out, walks around, like, like makes a big show of his entire existence to literally to the point where everyone sees him coming, probably rolls their eyes, fake gags, leaves the room. Like he's probably just the, the worst person in this community, right? If you're living in the town of Jericho, you do not want to run into Zacchaeus for any reason. You don't want to be associated with him. You don't want to see him and you definitely don't want to talk to him or pretend like you know him or that you're friends with him. And so Zacchaeus is, you know, he puts himself in an in a odd situation because he probably thinks he's a big deal, right? He's got a high-ranking position. He's got a lot of money, probably thinks very highly of himself, probably a little bit uh, ignorant or at least like doesn't care the fact that people don't like him. But he hears this guy's coming to town named Jesus. And this guy, Jesus, apparently is also a big deal. Apparently he's got a lot of people who are following him around. Apparently there's a lot of cool stuff that he's doing. And I wonder what's going through Zacchaeus' mind when he hears Jesus is coming. <laughs> Because Zacchaeus literally, it says that he, he, he went to go see Jesus and went to go find him, but he's short, so he couldn't do it. So you'd think Zacchaeus, a man of a lot of means, a lot of money, he would just like buy his way into like the, the best seats or buy like a box seat to the arena that Jesus is walking through. Like, like, surely he could throw his money around, but strangely enough, that's not what he does. Listen to what he does in verse four. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. He ran ahead of the crowds, ran ahead of the parade of Jesus and all of his entourage who was coming. And he climbs up a tree. So as if this man had no shame left in the world, he now is is climbing up into a tree because he's little and he can't see over the crowds. And so he sprints along with his little legs to get ahead of everyone and then scales up a tree and just like hangs out. Now, sycamore fig trees are not very large trees. They don't grow to be super huge. If you guys are thinking like the pine trees that grow in like the the North Georgia woods, you're you're missing it. This is more like, think the Japanese maple that's in your parents' garden. Like this is not a very big tree. And so he would have scaled up it, but people could easily see him, right? It just got him a few feet off the ground high enough that he could see, uh, you know, over the crowd. And, and, but if you were walking by, you'd be like, hey, did you see that dude hanging out in the tree? What what exactly, what's his deal? It's like, I don't know. He's clearly wealthy though. He's got a lot of clothes on. I think that was Zacchaeus. No, there's no way. Like he's too important to be climbing trees, but that's exactly what was happening. So he climbs up this tree to try to like, hey, I just want to get a glimpse of Jesus. I just want to see what all the fuss is about. I just want to see what's going on. I, I hope to just like catch a glimpse. Maybe I'll have a story to tell all my tax collector friends that I saw this Jesus guy that's so popular. And so I think that when we when we see the story of Zacchaeus, there's really five elements in this story that I want to highlight with you guys tonight. There's five things that are going on that at the end this will make all sense. But the very first one that I think is fascinating is that Zacchaeus's curiosity. Like he didn't have to do this. This wasn't part of his job. He didn't need to go see Jesus that day. Nobody was requiring to do this that we know of. Like for the most part, he was just curious. Jesus is coming. I'm trying to see him. I can't see over the crowd, so I'm going to go run ahead. I'm going to climb this tree, and I just want to experience him. I just want to see him, check him out, see what this guy is all about. And who knows? I mean, maybe he was even like a a, a bad motive. Maybe he was even thinking in his mind, maybe I can find a way to make a buck off this guy. Maybe I can sell tickets to his next show. Like, maybe he was trying to figure out a way to, you know, be sleazy Zacchaeus, just like he always was. But regardless of what it was, he was curious. He just wanted to see Jesus and what he was all about. Now is when the story gets interesting, when Jesus actually shows up. In verse five, it says, when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus had climbed the tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Pause. So when Jesus comes along, he stops. He looks up in the tree. There's a guy in the tree. Probably everybody saw the guy in the tree. Again, it probably wasn't that discreet. It wasn't, it wasn't like he was hiding. You know, he's not a Navy SEAL up there, right? He's probably, I picture him as like a short, chubby, you know, rich guy hiding up in a tree. And, and he, Jesus looks up. And in that moment, Jesus has kind of one of two paths that he could go. He could stop and acknowledge the guy in the tree or he could say like, well, that's weird and just keep going about his day. But because Jesus is Jesus and because Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners and because Jesus is intentional about every person that he comes in contact with and every person that he meets and nothing is out of place or, or, or unusual to him, he stops and he looks up in the tree and he calls Zacchaeus by name and says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately from the tree. I must come to your house today. I must come stay with you. I must come hang out with you today, Zacchaeus. Now, Jesus, his disciples were his 12 closest followers. We talked about them a lot in our last series, but in this point in time, they were probably working overtime as like his PR firm. As like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, not that guy. Like that, that's not him, not him, right? Like this guy's a, he's a mafia Don. He's a sleazy like scoundrel. I, you know, it, not that guy, anybody but him. We, we can go to anybody else's house. Just not that guy's house. And, and in this moment, Jesus is like, nah, like Zacchaeus, come on down. Like, let's me and you go to your house today. Because I think that in that moment, we learn something also, the next kind of element of our story that is important. I think we learn something about Jesus in this moment. Is secondly, we, find, we see the compassion of Jesus. So Zacchaeus' curiosity gets him up in the tree, but Jesus' compassion stops. Because when Jesus gets there, it says he looks up in the tree and he sees Zacchaeus. Not just like he notices him or there's a shadowy figure, like he sees him. He calls him by name. He can see his face. He knows who that is. And he calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I'm coming having lunch at your house today. And I think in in that moment, we see a very interesting thing about Jesus is that Jesus sees people. He doesn't see their reputation. He doesn't see what they're known for. He doesn't see their past or their mistakes or their failures or their pride or the way that they get it wrong. Jesus sees people the way that people are supposed to be seen. He sees Zacchaeus as a human being who is going to great lengths to get a glimpse at Jesus. And so Jesus stops what he's doing and says like, hey, he's going to great lengths to to see me, to get to know me, to have an experience with me. I'm gonna gonna help him out. I'm gonna do that for him. And so Jesus calls Zacchaeus down. And this is what happens next in verse seven. His compassion leads him to to interact with Zacchaeus. And he says, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus scales down the tree and he's gotta be pumped, right? He's about to have lunch with the, the biggest show in town. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Like in this moment, Zacchaeus is got to be over the moon. He'd be like, I just wanted to see this guy. Now he wants to come to my house, which by the way is huge and beautiful because the beautiful taxpayers of Jericho have paid for it, right? Like he wants to come to my house and eat my food and, and be served by my servants and meet my family. Like, come on, Jesus, that sounds great. Let's go to my house. That sounds great. And so as excited as Zacchaeus was, the onlookers, the people who saw this interaction happening, the people who saw their interaction were disgusted. It says they began to mutter to themselves, he's going to be the guest of a sinner's house. Can you believe him? What is Jesus thinking? I don't even know if I want to keep following Jesus, if he's going to hang out with those kind of people. Like, I don't know that I can be associated with this anymore if that's the kind of person he's going to go and have lunch with. And I think it's very important that Jesus insist on going to Zacchaeus' house. And the implication is that they were going to go and eat together and share a meal. Because Zacchaeus' curiosity led to Jesus' compassion, which thirdly led to and the third part of our story is they had communion together. Now I know communion has like a Christian connotation where it's like the bread and the, and the cup. And you know, it, it's not, that hasn't happened yet in the story. What I mean by communion is that they're going to share a meal together in an intimate friendship. That's what, if you look up the word communion in the dictionary, you'll get the, the church definition. But there's also just the word communion means like a, an intimate setting between friends. It's like, a, it's, a, it's what you would do with your bestie at Starbucks, okay? So Jesus is like, hey, I want to come over to your house and I want to share a meal with you and talk life and talk faith, and hear about your family, and get to know you. It's something that that would have only been reserved for the most intimate friendships and relationships in your life. And so Zacchaeus's curiosity stops Jesus in his tracks, so he wants to show him compassion, so that Jesus wants to have communion. He wants to have a relationship with Zacchaeus and say, "Hey, hey man, what led you to come check this out today? Tell me about what's going on in your life. Like, I want to get to know you more regardless of the disgust of the people, regardless of what's going on around him, Jesus sees Zacchaeus for who he is. And most specifically, he sees Zacchaeus for what he needs from Jesus in that moment. And the next verse says that apparently the meal goes really well. And, 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 and uh, you know, we don't get the details of their conversation, but you imagine they talk about life and talk about faith and they talk about all the things. And this is what it says at the end of the meal, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. There's a couple of important things happening here. Number one, in Jewish law, so if you were a good Jewish law follower, i.e. not Zacchaeus, uh, if you wronged somebody, I think it's Exodus 22 verse, oh man, I'm going to blank it right now, but it's like seven, somewhere in there. If you read Exodus 22, you'll find it. Uh, it says, if you wrong wronged somebody, you have to pay it back in full and double the amount. So if I robbed you out of hundred bucks, I have to repay you 200 bucks, right? That's like the law. And Zacchaeus you know, he says, hey, I want to pay back four times that amount. I'll pay back. I'll do do double what's required of me in this moment because obviously after my conversation with Jesus, things have got to change. And I think it's very interesting that he does that because first he wants to pay back four times of anybody he's wronged, but that's after he's given half of his possessions to the poor. So if you imagine in your mind's eye for a second, he cut his bank account in half and said, this all half is going to the poor and the people of our community that I've been wronging for years. And out of my other half, I'm gonna pay back each and every single family and person in the community that I've been wronging for probably years on end, four times what I've stolen from them. If you begin to do the math, think about the amount of wealth that would take to do that in a whole community of people. Zacchaeus was loaded outside of his mind that he could even afford to do this. It might've drained his bank account totally dry, empty. But the really interesting dynamic is he was only able to do this. He was only able to to have this interaction because something changed when when he had this interaction with Jesus. See, his curiosity stopped Jesus in his track, led Jesus to show compassion on him. They had this meal together and shared communion. But the fourth thing is Zacchaeus' confession shows that something is now different in his life. He's he's saying like, hey, like, because of my interaction with Jesus, because of whatever it is they talked about, we don't get the details of that. I realize that things in my life need to change. I can no longer continue being the person that I've always been. I can no longer live up to the reputation that everybody in town thinks of me. I need to begin to do things a little bit differently. And so Zacchaeus has this confession of like, okay, Lord, I'm sorry, I've I've wronged a lot of people. And starting today, I'm gonna make that right. I'm gonna gonna take care of all the poor people in the community that I've taken advantage of. And here's four times what I've wronged everyone. And I think it's it's a fascinating dynamic because after him saying that, Then Jesus says something that I think is profound. And this is the most important part of the entire text that Jesus says in verse nine and 10. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus tells Zacchaeus, he's like, hey, today salvation has come to your house. And then he calls him this term, son of Abraham. That would have been a term for someone who was a good Jewish man. Man, It was probably the first time in a long time and maybe the first time ever anyone had would have ever called Zacchaeus a good Jewish man. And Jesus says this, he says, because this man too, as in like Jesus is making the assumption of like, you probably would think that about me, but however you think about me, you can now also think of Zacchaeus the same way because salvation has come to this house. This is not the guy that you guys all know. This is not the person that everyone remembers him as. He's now a changed man. Things are different in his life. And Jesus says, how? He says, because the son of man, talking about himself, Jesus says, the son of man, I came to seek and to save the lost. And I think to kind of put a bow on this, you know, the five things I wanted you to know, Zacchaeus' curiosity led to Jesus showing him compassion. They shared a meal together and had communion. Flesh led to Zacchaeus' confession, which led Jesus to uh, exemplify and say, hey, this man has had a conversion. He's not the same person that he was this morning. This is not the same man that you guys all know. His reputation is now different moving forward because of meeting Jesus. And so I think that, you know when we talk about these five things, this, these five lists of, of, uh, of things that happened throughout our story, essentially what Jesus is doing, he's giving us a picture of what it looks like for us to meet Jesus that oftentimes people come to Jesus because they're curious. They're curious about what Jesus teaches. They're curious about what church is like. They're curious because things are going on in their life and they're looking for answers. People show up and looking for Jesus for a variety of reasons, but curiosity is for sure one of them. And then they hear about the compassion of Jesus and maybe even they have a moment where they meet Jesus in in communion. And then they begin to confess all the things in their life that they've done wrong and all the things they need deliverance from, all the things that they want Jesus to rescue for them, uh, rescue them from. And then in doing so, lastly, they have an experience of conversion. And so as you see these five things, as these five things kind of play out in throughout Zacchaeus' story, I think that there's something really important that this teaches us about the grace of God. That essentially what, what Jesus is trying to make and the point of why he went to Zacchaeus' house that day is he wants to teach us that no one, absolutely no one is too, far, is too bad or too far gone to experience the grace of Jesus. No one is too bad or too far gone to experience The grace of Jesus. Because in that day and time, if anyone would have been too bad or too far gone, it was Zacchaeus. And I started thinking about reputations and obviously Zacchaeus had a huge reputation to overcome. And it it took me back to a time when I was in school. And I told you like when I was in college, I started thinking about what, hey, what was my reputation like? And uh, I I started thinking about a guy that I knew in college whose name uh, was Chris. And Chris uh, grew up in a good Christian household. His parents, he went to church, he went to his youth group, that kind of stuff in high school. And he goes to college and he doesn't know anybody in college. And he kind of falls in with a different crowd. And it's a crowd that really just is enjoying college in a lot of ways, right? Like they party and lifestyle and drinking and, and all the things that come along with that. And uh, you know, Chris one day wakes up and he has this, this moment, he has this experience where he's like, ah, you know, I think, I feel like there's more to this than what I'm experiencing. I'm really tired of the parties. To be honest, it was probably more the hangovers. And he was like, I'm I'm really ready for maybe to try something else in life. And so he wakes up one Sunday morning. He puts on probably the one collared shirt that he has and a pair of like slacks. And he's gonna go to this church. And he's walking down the hall, going, getting ready to go to church. And who does he run into? But Brandy that I told you about earlier, right? Captain of the tennis team, med school student, or all, you know, smartest kid in school this good looking girl that, that he would have known and said hello to or whatever. And she's like, oh, you look all dressed up. Where are you headed this morning? And he's like, oh, I'm headed to church. Huh, I didn't expect that to come out of your mouth. And he's like, well, why would you say that? She's like, I just based off your reputation, I wouldn't expect you to be the kind of person to go to church. And in that moment, Chris has this kind of conundrum that, okay, well, a church person like her basically just said, well, based off my reputation, she wouldn't expect me to be there. And I think this is one of those moments where we talk about the reputation of the local church. This is one of those opportunities where we often get it so wrong. Because in that moment, here you have a person who's really trying everything the world has to offer and is finding it lacking. He's finding it not to be what he wants it to be. And so he's gonna give church a try. He's gonna go back to church, going back to something he knew from his childhood, from his teenage years. to like, hey, maybe I can go back to something, some happiness that I felt and experienced then. And he meets a church person who's like, I I think you're on the outside. I'm not sure you belong there. I'm surprised, based off your reputation, I'm surprised that you're going. I'm really shocked that you're gonna be there. And in that moment, you can imagine, Chris probably has this like, okay, so just go back to my dorm room and go back to bed. Or do I work up the courage to try to walk into this place that I already feel like they're already gonna judge me. I already feel like that I'm not gonna fit in. I already feel like, it's not the place for me based off how I've been living my life for the last couple of years. And, and if, if that's you, if you've experienced something like that in your life, if, if maybe there's been mistakes that have been made in your life, or there's been times in your life where you felt like you've been far from God, just like Zacchaeus and, and just like Chris and the story, I, I would want you to know this to be true is that Jesus sees you. You know, Jesus didn't have to stop Zacchaeus. You know, the, the, the points of that story are so important because Jesus doesn't stop at Zacchaeus and look up in the tree. He's like, hey, Zacchaeus, get it together. You're a disgrace to our whole community. I wish you would just clean yourself up and maybe try going to temple once every now and again, right? That's not what he says. He meets Zacchaeus and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. i want to come hang out with you today. I see you. I know you're up there and I know you're kind of just like checking this out. Let's get to know each other a little better. And I think time and time again, well-meaning, well-intentioned church folks, who are doing their best to live for Jesus and, and to do all the things that they feel like they're supposed to do. Discourage other people who are curious or seeking or just have questions or doubts or fears about showing up to a place like this, to hearing about messages like this, because they tell them like, hey, based off your reputation, based off things you've done wrong, I don't know if you'd fit in. I don't know if you'd belong. And what my hope and prayer is is for the living room and for this church to be a place where you're always welcome, you're always belonging. And if you're here tonight and this is your first time and you're giving it a shot, checking this place out, I would like you to know, I don't really care about your past. I don't really care how you're living your life. I want you to know that before you dress like us, talk like us, act like us, look like us, whatever like that, I want you to know that you have a place here that we see you, we care about you and we love you. And this is a place for you. We can figure out all the other stuff out later. Because I think that's exactly what Jesus does for Zacchaeus. Jesus goes and he gets to know Zacchaeus. And then you would imagine over the course of their meal, they begin to talk about life and faith and and, and the way they behave and how they treat people. And and things go a hundred different directions throughout their conversation. And only then does Zacchaeus decide that maybe he needs to change something in his life. He didn't come down to the tree and be like, oh, you're gonna come to my house today, Jesus? Maybe I'll just change my entire way of living that I've done my entire adult life. No, he only did that after meeting Jesus. And for some of you in the room that maybe you need to be reminded that Jesus sees you because it's been a long time since you've met Jesus and your life has gone a hundred different directions and you've forgotten what it's like to be seen by him, for him to look at you and say, hey, I know the struggles that you're carrying. I know the things that you're going through. I know the wrong that you've done. I know the way that you've maybe gotten it wrong over the last few weeks, months, years even. And tonight I wanna invite you to maybe begin to think of Jesus in a new and different way. That Jesus isn't calling you to to make you feel bad or to challenge your reputation or to make you feel shame and guilt. But Jesus is saying like, hey, I want you to know that you're seen. That people care about you. They care about what happens to you. They love you and they want what's best for you. And my hope and prayer is this place becomes that. And if you're in the room today and you call yourself a Jesus follower, I think that this is a really important takeaway for you. It's not only does Jesus see you, but... We are to see as Jesus sees. I think we have to begin to treat people and we begin to have to begin to change our reputation as Christians or as people who go to church to not make people feel like they're on the outside, not make people feel like they're excluded or that they're not welcome or that they have to clean themselves up to get to Jesus because there's nothing further from the truth than that. That Jesus invites all of us to come as we are, to figure it out, to... to, to try to understand what, what is going on in life, to try to figure out what he would have us to do. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and you figure the rest of that stuff out later. And so for each and every one of us in this room, I want us to begin thinking about, that, hey, how can I begin to see people as Jesus sees people? How can I begin to love people as I find them? Not asking them you know, if they believe the same thing as me, if they think the way, same way as me, if they vote the same way as me, if they you know, uh, hang out in the same places as me, if they have the same friend group or the same background or the same anything else, I think a lot of times we just need to see love people as we find them, to see them for who they are because that's what we see Jesus doing time and time again. And so the question tonight that I want you guys to kind of land on is who needs you to see them? Who in your life is looking for a place to belong? Who in your life is looking for a place to be reminded that they're loved? Who in your life uh, can you show them the love that Jesus showed Zacchaeus that day? Because I promise you, you never know what you might find even you go out of your way to do that for somebody. Because to be honest, uh, the story I told you guys about Chris, the guy you know in school, Chris was my roommate when I was in college. And um, I made up that name because the story is not actually about Chris. That was actually my life story when I was in college. Chris was actually my roommate who was pushing me and encouraging me to go to church. And I was getting up the courage to go when I ran into Brandy who told me like, wow, I'm surprised that you're going to church. Hmm. And maybe she meant it innocently. Maybe she was just like, oh, good for you. That's not what I thought you would do on a Sunday morning. But for me, it was one of those moments where I was seen in all the wrong ways, right? I was seen for all that I'd done wrong, all the bad, the, the decisions that I'd been making that were self-destructive and were keeping me far from God. But in that moment, I really wanted her to say, hey, I'm so proud of you. Way to go. I couldn't be more happy for you. But what I did that day, I was, I was like telling her I was going to church and I asked her what church she was going to because I was like, that's the last church that I'm gonna be going to this morning. <laughs> because in that moment she communicated something to me was like, hey, unless you're on my level, I don't, you know, I, it was just, it was one of those things where I felt like she was looking down on me for the decisions I've made. And maybe my struggles weren't the same as hers. And maybe she had stuff going on that I didn't know about. Maybe my sins were just a little bit more public. But I think we as church people have to be very careful and not only like what we say to people, but how we interact with them and how we encourage them to follow Jesus. Because Jesus didn't give Zacchaeus a free pass. He didn't just say, hey man, that's fine. Just keep doing life this way. No, eventually Zacchaeus, there was life change. And when you meet Jesus, you're never the same afterwards. And the same was true for me. Eventually I got into a really great church and and, and my life began to change. And I began to hang out with different people and fall into a different crowd. And and I began to, to experience life in a new and different way. But it was not the way that Brandy was experiencing thing because she became the kind of person that I didn't want to have that reputation. I would much rather be known for somebody who had a terrible past that God had redeemed than somebody who acts like they have it all together and treated people like they were better, like I was better than them. And so for all of us in this room tonight, I want you to think about who needs you to see them. Because if you're not being intentional to love the people that God's putting in your life, you may be communicating something the exact opposite of what you're going for. You may be communicating something to them that they're not worth your time or that they've got to clean themselves up to get to Jesus or, or maybe even something even worse. And so my challenge for you guys tonight is to begin to think about How can I begin to show people that Jesus loves them, that Jesus cares about them? And the same grace that Jesus offered Zacchaeus, the worst of the worst, the person who was the furthest on the outside, a sinner among sinners. If Jesus can show him grace, there's nobody in this room that's too bad or too far gone that they can't experience God's grace tonight.